BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you. And uh, on, the, uh, on the line with us and for the hour, Congressman Mark Pocan, the uh, uh, co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, uh, representing the state of Wisconsin, of course, in the House of Representatives of the 2nd District. Uh, his website, pocan.house.gov. You can tweet him at rep, R-E-P, as in representative, rep, Mark, M-A-R-K, pocan, P-O-C-A-N. And Congressman, welcome back to the program. Hey, Tom, glad to be here. Thanks. Glad to have you with us. And and just, you know, if anybody doesn't realize, this is uh, Middays with Mark here, where he will be taking your calls for the rest of the hour uh, after I ask him a couple of questions. Uh, I, I noticed last night, Congressman, that uh, Trump only had about 4,000 people at his rally uh, by Bernie numbers, that's pretty small. I'm, I'm wondering, and, and there were tens of thousands of protesters outside. Uh, I, I'm wondering, I, this, is, this is a story I'm not seeing on the press, and it would be the one story that would make Trump crazy. What? My crowd size was small? But it really seems like that's the case. Well, and that's the thing. He kept saying he had 15,000 people, I think, in tweets, and he kept saying there's a very, very small crowd outside of uh, counter-protests. Um, yeah, this is Donald Trump, right? I mean, we watched him again last night, uh, you know, doing his best impersonation of a man-child, you know. Uh, I think that's probably the best definition we have for his behavior. And, uh, you know, he needed this de- desperately for his narcissism. He needed to have some people applaud him and you know, kind of hang out with him, and that's why he does these rallies. So, um, you know, it's not like he has support. The polls show us more than enough that he doesn't have any public support, but this is what he does to keep going, to keep his narcissism, uh, you know, fully fueled. Yeah, yeah, it's it's truly remarkable. Um, have we, we haven't talked since uh, Paul Ryan did that hour-long infomercial on CNN with uh, uh, Jake Tapper, uh, it it did not strike me as a town hall at all. <laughs> is is Paul Ryan doing town halls? Is there something I missed? No, no, he's still not. Um, you know, we uh, actually live tweeted during it and had a lot of uh, interesting feedback from people who also were, you know, uh, realizing that any real town hall that any member in the country has, I guarantee you get more than one question on health care. Uh, and that's what they had. And, um, you know, they had some Democrats, some Republicans ask questions, and it was all very scripted. But it's not, 
a real interaction with your constituents. And you know, I thought the standout answer of the evening that showed why Paul Ryan uh, has, has become completely Washington and disconnected with the country is when he said that the president, with his comments on, on Charlottesville, uh, simply messed up. And, you know, I think you mess up when you forget your telephone charger, uh, but you don't mess up when you say there's very fine people who are Nazis and, and Klansmen. And I think for him to get that kind of a pass, Paul Ryan showed that, you know, uh, he, he did something to claim he was doing a town hall, didn't really interact with his constituents. And the reason he doesn't interact is he's not in touch with them anymore. I mean, this is a guy who has gone completely Washington. Wow. Wow. Uh, it's, it, it, it's really an extraordinary uh, you know, moment in time, and I, I, you know, I, I, I keep asking myself, and I keep asking my listeners, um, how much longer can he pull this off? I mean, the the Washington Post yesterday uh, ran an article about how, as of this moment, Trump has told over a thousand lies, um, and and mischaracterizations, misstatements, whatever you, you want to call the the half lies, half truths, um, at. At, at what point, and, and you've got that, and you've got, you know, Trump openly taking on Jeff Flake, John McCain, and Mitch McConnell. And, you know, there's this uh, this theory, actually. Apparently, Roger Stone said to him, like, let me get the exact quote. It was, it was pretty damn spooky. Um, oh, where did it go? Roger Stone was talking about, here we go. The president should start bumping off incumbent Republican members of Congress in the primaries, Stone said. If he did that, Mitch McConnell and Paul Ryan would wet their pants and the rest of the Republicans would get in line. Now, this was, you know, one of Richard Nixon's advisors, if my memory is correct. Um, does it seem that the Republicans are wetting their pants as, uh, as, uh, the, as Trump goes after these high-profile Republicans? Well, I think the strategy is, seems to be what's going on, right? I mean, he's attacking uh, Jeff Flake very clearly in Arizona in his home state yesterday, as he's been doing for a while. But, you know, I think that they're torn on which uh, wetting their pants moment they have. Is it the, that he might give them primaries and they got to deal with that? Or is it that his rating, his polling goes down so far, so deep, that they know their fortunes are attached to the president that at what point do they jump ship and start, you know, hey, Mike Pence, God, he's great, you know, and, and realizing that uh, Donald Trump is on his way out. So I think they're torn between the two, right? I mean, Donald Trump is trying to create the fear factor by going after them, but the reality is uh, Donald Trump's actions are creating this reverse vacuum, and last week was the first poll I saw where it is 90% of the the base that supported him all of a sudden went down to 79%. He's starting to lose his base even, and I think they're torn on which direction to go. Yeah. At, at, at what point does the Republican Party acknowledge that a certain percentage of their base is actually Klan's members and Nazis? Richard Spencer tweeted out last night that uh, Donald Trump, actually, I can get you the exact quote again on this one. I know where it is. Um, he says, uh, oh, it's not where I thought it was. <laughs> just just when I, you know, just when you think you've got it all. Uh in any case, something something to the effect of Donald Trump is never going to abandon us. You know, it's uh, words that he will he will not trash the alt right. I guess that was the phrase. Well, think what he did last night. So he read off the words KKK, white supremacist. I'll had a difficult time saying it. Um, you know, uh, uh, neo Nazis. 
And as he said it, he was like he was checking a box. I said the words. I did my job. And then he immediately got on to talking about our history and our heritage that's trying to be taken away. And he gave all the the dog whistles again. You know, to me, if you really, I mean, if you're the president of the United States, you should have disgust. You should have the 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 worst feeling when you have neo Nazis on the streets in the United States, and instead this guy, it's like a check. Look, I said him, I said him. See, I told you, and yet he doesn't actually show any contempt for neo Nazis and and KKK members, which is again why he immediately goes back to that our history, our heritage, the dog whistle for those folks. So, you know, I I know where Donald Trump is. Donald Trump clearly is fine with being in the bigot category and keeping those people as a base. It's just, you know, wrong on many levels. Yeah, yeah, to say the very least. Congressman Mark Pocan, it's our Middays with Mark Hour, taking your phone calls right after this. And welcome back. Jesse in Miami, Florida, you are on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hey, hi, Tom, um, Mr. Pocan. Thank you for what you do. You'll probably be the next president. Uh, a tough question. Bitcoin. What do you think of Bitcoin, especially with there's no respect for the dollar since the dollar is being printed for the rich? What do you think of Bitcoin? Well, Jesse, thanks for your uh, kind comments. Um, and, you know, I'm not concerned uh, necessarily that the dollar is being printed, that there's there's an issue that it's for the rich. I mean, I think, you know, we watch it within the economy go up and down depending on lots of economic conditions. Um, but, you know, I think uh, what people are realizing as we go into this virtual society, you're finding uh, the Bitcoin clearly is becoming uh, an alternative for people. I think some folks, I think uh, Jared Polis, for example, in Colorado, I think he takes campaign contributions in Bitcoin, and you're finding people embracing it in, in more maybe more mainstream ways than you've seen uh, previously. But um, I, I'm not too concerned about uh, our dollar at this point, that Bitcoin has to be uh, the alternative, but I think people are finding alternatives, just how society is moving, and we have a much more virtual society. Glenn in Hillsborough, Oregon. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Oh, hey, Glenn, hold on just a minute. You're, you're the, the network you're listening to is in commercial break right now. Kirk in uh, Ukiah, California. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Kirk? Um, hello. Yeah, hey, Kirk, watching yes. Free Speech TV. You're on the air. Yeah, uh, well, actually, I'm on Sirius. Uh, I'm driving hands-free, so I'm... Oh, you are? Um, well, Kirk, I, let me put you on hold, too, then, because, uh, you know, I want to get you on the air when, when you're listening on the air so that, you know, you can hear yourself. Peter, in Vine Grove, Kentucky, watching Free Speech TV. Hey, Peter, what's... Uh, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Yes, good morning to both of you, and I'm already looking at my presidential and vice presidential team because I will vote for both of you today. <laughs> Thanks, <Yeah>. Peter. Um, <laughs> Thank you. To get right to the point, because I know you got a lot of callers, I want to read you guys something that I heard from somebody who will probably surprise the heck out of both of you. And uh, he was on, this gentleman was on uh, MSNBC, and I quote, so inept at, this, at themselves at this point for not having a lack of national, for having a lack of national organization and infrastructure, their inability in their inability in the state to actually put together the kind of strategy. Yeah, Peter, we only have forty-five rule, seconds left. I want to get the congressman the to respond to you. To go, uh, I'm sorry, Peter. We only have forty seconds left, and, and I'd like the congressman to respond to you. You're talking about the Democratic Party, right? 
and the things well, are disordered. What I'm talking about is the Republican national chairman, former uh, national Republican chairman, talking about the fact that they're, uh, the Democrats, especially the progressive Democrats, don't seem to be able to put together uh, a plan or a Okay, strategy. Peter, let's let Congressman Pocan respond. Yeah, so if I understand the question, Peter, I mean, I, I think it's just the opposite. I mean, it's the progressives, I think, right now within the Democratic Party that are, are taking over. Keith Ellison is the new deputy chair. Um, the fact that uh, the better deal package that the Democrats put forward has a lot of populist, progressive economic ideas that come out of Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren and the, and the Progressive Caucus uh, tells me that I think we're moving in the right direction and they're only raising the issue because they're nervous about it. Yeah. Good point. Congressman Mark Pocan taking your calls. Middays with Mark here on the Tom Hartman program. Stick around. Welcome back. Congressman Mark Pocan taking your calls in our in our Middays with Mark segment here. Glenn in Hillsborough, Oregon. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Oh, hi, Tom. Hi, Congressman. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, I guess my, my concern, I am definitely a left-of-center uh, liberal progressive, uh, but my, my concern with political leadership is I don't see law enforcement uh, that I'm aware of getting involved and really hunting these fascists and plants them down. I mean, we know they have compounds, certainly all over the Northwest and other parts of the country. These people have physical locations, and I would really like to see my government, whether it's federal, state, local, um, at the very least, um, maybe harass these guys a little bit, follow them around. So, Glenn, are you saying we have terrorist cells in the United States? What are we doing about it? Yeah, and, I, I'm, and that's my concern, and it kind of ties into Stephanie Miller's show. They, somebody called up about Antifa, was very upset. They're going to represent us, you know, the left incorrectly. But to be honest with you, um, I'm considering joining Antifa, and the reason I've been pushed that far is I am not seeing law enforcement. How come Nazis and Klansmen can walk around a, a university uh, right. chanting? Um, well, pl know, plus, Glenn, there's no, there's no one group that's called Antifa. Uh, let's get Congressman Pocan's response. Sure, Glenn. Well, I, I can tell you that, you know, thanks to groups like the Southern Poverty Law Center, you know, we're, they're, uh, we're aware of those groups, and I know that uh, federal law enforcement is aware of many of the groups that are out there, but I think what you have to have is illegal actions, right? It's not uh, illegal for that person to, um, you know, chant down the street if they have a permit, uh, as reprehensible as it is and how out of step it is with this country. Uh, they have to break the law, um, but I think that uh, law enforcement is very aware and are monitoring, and I think that uh, we can have assurances on that. And again, I personally uh, support and, and give money to the Southern Poverty Law Center because they do tremendous and amazing work uh, around this as well. So um, I, I do have confidence that people are watching. Uh, I, you know, unfortunately, they have to break the law, obviously, to to be able to act. But in the meantime, I think you know us. Saying a counter message, make sure that uh, people don't ever think that that's the voice of the United States. Uh, Kirk in Ukiah, California, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hello, good morning. Hey. Um, yes, uh, yesterday I noticed on CNN uh, that Jackie Spear, our congresswoman from the San Francisco Bay Area here, a longtime congresswoman, uh, came out asking that the uh, the 25th Amendment being considered. I know the speak is uh, that, that there's no way that that could happen uh, or that it would go to uh, Congress and possibly 
remove uh, Trump from office that way. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Things are things are changing. Uh, this guy is really showing his cards. So I'm, and I'll take my answer off the air. So I'm just curious. Thank you, Kirk. Yeah, thank you, Kirk. Uh, well, I actually uh, said this uh, last week on the program, and I, I do think that, that right now it's very important for us to be raising the 25th Amendment because any kind of a more of a criminal process, uh, whether it be with um, Mueller's investigations or others, uh, are going to potentially take a while. It could take a very long time. And while they're being investigated, I'm more worried about the here and now. I mean, this is a guy who, um, you know, made the comments he did about the Klan and, and neo-Nazis in, in the United States, uh, done many other things that I think show an instability that we're concerned about for someone who's the head of uh, our country. And that's why I think the 25th Amendment uh, and what Jackie's doing and others by raising it is saying, look, you you know, we don't have to wait for a criminal action, potentially, if there is. Obviously, that would run its course. We're concerned about right now. He tweets something at 4.30 in the morning, and he and Kim Jong-un uh, get in some fight. Uh, there's no putting the genie back in the bottle. Perhaps that is the way to raise the issue. And the fact that the business community, I think, uh, last week really recognized this within the Republican Party uh, is a good start to show us uh, that maybe they're starting to recognize it more overtly. So um, I, I think that it's an appropriate conversation for us to be having. Uh, Howard in Manhattan, New York City. Howard, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Yeah, thanks. Um, quick question, which I'd like both of your opinions on, please. Who would be worse for the country, Pence or Trump? Good question, Congressman. Yeah, so Howard, I, I, let me answer it in a non-answer, but I'm going to explain why I'm giving it to you this way. I, I don't think it, it, it's a choice of one or the other. I mean, if Donald Trump has done something wrong and he's unstable, uh, you have to get rid of him. Uh, well, Pence may not be unstable, clearly more conservative and, and really bad in some areas. But I, I think you got to deal with what you got to deal with at the time. And if this president is going to potentially put us into a nuclear conflict or potentially um, you know, do other things that hurt us, uh, because of his support for neo-Nazis and um, and Klansmen, uh, which he seems to continue to repeat no matter what. He can tell it's in his heart regardless of what he says. Uh, we have to deal with him. So I, I don't take it as a, you know, well, if you get rid of him, you're going to get this other guy who's also really bad. I just look at we got to do what's best for the country in each incident. And right now, Trump is the threat that we're facing. Yeah, we agonize about that stuff around Bush and Cheney, too. It's uh, Russell in Hickory Hills, Illinois. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Ah, yes, Tom and Mr. Pocan. I was wondering, now that you're back home, are the Democrats getting energized to run against Paul Ryan, Scott Walker, and stand behind Tammy Baldwin when numbers like 33% job approval comes out of your state? I mean, that said, you've got to link these two right to Donald Trump. What do you think? No, I tell you, you're, you're right. People are very energized. I mean, they're, uh, when you look at... Um, where where, the, where Paul Ryan's at, I mean, this Randy Bryce guy who's running as an iron worker, he's run a tremendous campaign. I would argue the single best rollout of the cycle uh, running for Congress, uh, the video he put out there, has been uh, really showing people the very stark contrast between he and Paul Ryan. Uh, we've got a number of Democrats running, but people are, are very um, encouraged because, you know, Scott Walker is just giving away billions of dollars uh, to Foxconn for potentially some jobs. We're not exactly sure. And uh, I, I was just a county over from where this is built, and people are not happy because they're saying $3 billion you could have done a whole lot more that would help people across the state. I think uh, they are all 
in trouble and that polling uh, really showed it in a more scientific, definitive way. Uh, we're we're going to be ready for 2018, and we're going to make sure that Tammy Baldwin is staying in the Senate. She's got uh, several millionaires giving money to people running against her, but Tammy's done a great job, and we just have to make sure we get those word, that word out as well. Is this, we just have 30 seconds, Congressman, is this awakening that's happening in Wisconsin the result of terrible leadership and, and management by the Republicans, or because people have finally figured out what their real agenda is and don't like it? You know, I think it's the, the general um, waking up that happened across the country we see also in Wisconsin. But, you know, we have to realize Paul Ryan is the leader of the House who's been complicit so far with everything that Donald Trump's done. Uh, that makes people, I think, even more embarrassed because that's not what Wisconsin's about. We're fundamentally nice, kind people, and uh, kicking tens of millions of people off the health care is not nice or kind. Yeah. Amen. Congressman Mark Pocan with us. It's Middays with Mark on the Tom Hartman Program. Con Congressman Pocan taking your calls for the hour. We'll be back with more of your calls for Congressman Pocan right after this uh, news break here at the bottom of the hour. Stick around. What I like about Harry's is their amazingly high quality shave. It's smooth and close, just how a shave should be. And Harry's passes savings along to you by selling directly over the internet. No more frustrating drugstore trips. Harry's knows some of you guys may be skeptical of trying a new razor brand. So instead of just telling you, Harry's wants to prove that you'll love their stuff with a free trial. They made this special free trial with everything you need to evaluate Harry's. It's customizable. You try it for free. It's a $13 value. Someone from the Harry's team even checks in to see how your trial is going. It's 100% risk-free guaranteed. You can even call and cancel or get a refund, whatever you want. So why not give Harry's a shot and judge for yourself? Head over to harrys.com slash Tom, T-H-O-M, to get it now. That's harrys.com slash Tom. Get started with your Harry's free trial offer today. All you cover is just a few bucks in shipping. To get your free trial set, including a handle, blade, shave gel, and travel blade cover, go to harrys.com slash Tom. That's harrys.com slash Tom. Don't, don't wait. Get started with Harry's today. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you, Congressman Mark Pocan. <clears throat> Excuse me. On the line with us, taking your calls for the hour. It's our Middays with Mark segment. Congressman, you're still with us? I am. Okay, great. Dick, in Marion, Illinois, you are on the air with Congressman Pocan. Yes, good morning or good afternoon. Anyway, uh, question for the day is this very simply. Uh, last night, one of your sister networks uh, was talking about the issue of insanity concerning the current president. Uh, I've been looking a little, hopefully a little deeper, and I know, Tom, that you have an interest in uh, ADD. Yeah, I've written and five or six books on it. the area of adult uh, deficiency uh, with hyper, uh, what do you want to call it? Hyperactivity, hyper deficiency yeah. Deficiency uh, tied to it. And then the anomaly of narcissism added to it. Has the Donald managed to escape any diagnosis from that perspective? And with it, drawing all the reactionary forces unto him, like almost like a magnet. Uh, what say you to that as a possibility? Congressman? Well, Dick, you know, I think that's part of the concern why people are raising the 25th Amendment. We're starting to see this behavior that you'd think by now, if he was just learning the job, which was Paul Ryan's first excuse for him, uh, that, you know, maybe some mistakes could, would happen. But you don't make mistakes when you're, you're, talking about neo-Nazis and Klansmen the way the president does when you uh, 
have provided really some of the actions that he's done around um, uh, other countries. We're just looking at this behavior being extremely unstable for a president. So whether there's a diagnosis or not, uh, clearly I think everyone knows uh, narcissism is uh, something that's near and dear to the president. Uh, what we're trying to find out is, is that really maybe what the problem is and why we need to even be discussing the 25th Amendment. Uh, Don in Fort Pierce, Florida. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Uh, and I wanted to raise a question of Foxconn. They're supposed to bring 3,000 jobs to Wisconsin uh, at a cost of $3 billion. When, in fact, if you took a $3 billion, you could employ 60,000 people in Wisconsin, firemen, school teachers, and what have you. And I would think this would be uh, a big win for the Democratic Party if they went after it with this. And it's not only happening in Wisconsin, there's other states, Republican-run states, that are offering these giveaways to bring foreign companies into our uh, into our fold, as it were. Yeah, Don, I, I agree. You know, we used to talk when I was in the legislature about the high-road economy versus low-road economy, right, and how much you give away in order to say you created some jobs. And for Scott Walker, uh, he's been dismally behind his promise to create 250,000 jobs at the end of his first four years. He's maybe now at a hundred and. 780,000, you know, almost seven years in. So they're just desperate to show it, and they'll do anything and give away anything. But I can tell you, I, I was at a, a chamber event just a county away, and they were talking about not a single person was supportive because they're not going to see any of the benefit. If you got $3 billion, there's a lot of things you could do, including fixing our roads, which are the fourth worst in the country, and a lot of other things. So I, I agree, Don. I think this is going to turn out to be not just in Wisconsin, but other places where they do the same corporate welfare uh, turn out to backfire. Scott in Alameda, California. You are on the air with Congressman Mark Pokham. Hi. I wanted to uh, get back to the, uh, the question of whether or not um, laws are being broken um, in these organizing of these rallies. Um, You're talking about the right-wing hate groups? Yeah, Sessions was going after Disrupt J20, and he was trying to get the IP addresses of, I think, over a million people to um, to uh, whatever he was trying to do with that. It looks like he's given up on that effort. But what I think he was trying to do would be applying the Anti-Riot Act of 1968, otherwise known as the Rat Brown Act, and it makes it illegal to organize um, to cross state lines using uh, telephone, telegraph, and the U.S. mail in for the purpose of uh, causing uh, riots or, or inciting violence. This can be directly applied to uh, Daily Stormer, I think, and, and, and people like uh, Laura Loomer, who was calling for people to go to Heather Hayer's funeral. I've been calling Congress all week about this question of the Anti-Riot Act of 1968, which makes it illegal to organize using the mail, telephone, and telegraph. Now, I would imagine... For the purposes the of riot. For the purposes of, of inciting riot. Right. Okay. And that's exactly what they did. Okay, Scott, let's, let's, let's hear what Congressman Pocan has to say. Yeah, Scott, no, I, I appreciate the comments and the thoughts, and you know, I'm going to look into it a little further. You know, I, I think the real question will be is, did they go with the... Uh, how do you prove the intent to uh, create a riot um, versus not? I mean, clearly, you know, when they come into any community, it's going to have a reaction. And I think the question would be, what, what's the uh, ability to prosecute and, and likelihood of winning on something like that? But I, I'm going to take a look at this, Scott. I appreciate you raising the issue. Okay.
Van in Lewis Center, Ohio. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hello. Van? Hey. Hi. Hi, Tom. Hi, Congressman Pocan. Um, geez, I got a lot on my mind, but this is one thing I want to say. I haven't heard any of the elected officials, you know, find, try to find out what happened to the young man that was beaten uh, in Charlottesville um, by the uh, the racist that was videotaped. Mm. I haven't heard anyone talking about that at all. He, the, the people haven't even been charged, and they know who these people are, which, which leads me to tell you that your base, which is the African-Americans, feel disrespected and left out because you you people talk about the Trump base, like that's the only people out there. The Democrats wouldn't win anything if it wasn't for us. And I promise you, I've already changed from a, a Democrat to, I don't even have a, a party anymore. But I promise you that my uh, uh, sisters and brothers and relatives and friends, they're thinking about leaving the party too. So unless you start, you know, bringing us on board and giving us, you know, different uh, positions, high positions in the Democratic Party, you're going to lose us. I promise you're going to lose us. Let's let's hear what the congressman has to say. Thank you. Yeah, Van, so I I think, you know, I I understand the frustration with Charlottesville. And trust me, I've seen uh, much about there. And I think there's a reward out there to find out who the folks are. And I'm sure. Yeah, Greg Palace has identified two of them so far. Yeah, so uh, I'm sure that, you know, people will be brought to justice. I I think the question I would say is, you know, I think the Democratic Party um, has been more than clear on where it is around uh, race relations, especially around Charlottesville. So I would say just the opposite. I mean, the the fact that without exception, people are outraged uh, by Donald Trump's behavior. Uh, We're not worried about trying to pick up Trump's base right now. We're talking about the little bit of base he's got left that's never going to leave him. We're talking about the core values of this country, which include uh, equality, especially among uh, people, uh, regardless of their race. So, uh, you know, I think perhaps while there can be frustration with what's happened in Charlottesville, I don't think there is a single Democrat who has not been more than clear on uh, where they stand on this issue, at least uh, you know, anyone I've seen with a national profile. Kyle in Portland, Oregon. Hey, Kyle, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hi. Uh, good morning, Congressman. And hi, Tom. How are you? Um, I am giving a call. Last night I read an article on Slate about this um, case that's working its way through the courts uh, about campaign finance laws. And it stems from a challenge to Alaska, uh, which has really stringent. They're one of two states that limit out-of-state contributions to congressional races. And um, it's been challenged um, kind of along the lines of uh, Citizens United, that it's an uh, abridgment to free speech. People want to, you know, write a check to somebody running for Congress in a different state. However, if this challenge is denied, it would prevent instances like John Ossoff in Georgia, who received more than half of his contributions from out of state in California, but also make it so, um, you know, well, so Karen Handel. Earlier, what you mentioned earlier, Congressman, um, about uh, just flooding the, the money, the, the geography of, of who funds these, uh, you know, congressional campaigns is ridiculous. The uh, study of zip codes shows like five neighborhoods 
fund like over 70 or 80 percent or provide over 70 to 80 percent of the uh, campaign funding for these uh, outrageous um, races. But anyway, I, I, I was wondering if uh, either of you are familiar with this uh, case or you keeping an eye on it. Tom, maybe you could bring uh, some of the amicus. Okay, let's uh, let's ask let's ask Congressman Pocan his thoughts on Sure. I, Kyle, no, I, I'm not familiar with the case, and I'm going to take a look at it. I, I can tell you that when we've had this in a state like Maine, which had a great public finance system um, within the state, uh, you know, legal challenges made them have to weaken it somewhat, which is kind of what brings us back to why we're fighting so hard around Citizens United. Um, you know, I've never, I don't consider money to be free speech, and I think uh, probably it's one, you know, dis- very small disconnect I have with ACLU because I, I so appreciate everything they do, but in this particular case, uh, you know, big money is very, very, very loud speech, and uh, it has that huge impact, and that's the best place we can stop a lot of these uh, across the country because, you know, Maine and I think Arizona originally had some of the best public finance laws in the country, and then we watched them start to get uh, changed because of legal challenges. Um, we've got to address it at the very top, and that's Citizens United. Yeah. I believe it's a there's a billionaire who's challenging the Alaska law. It's been a week or two since we've talked about it. Congressman Mark Pocan taking your calls. It's Middays with Mark here on the Tom Hartman. And welcome back, Andrew, in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, watching on uh, YouTube. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hi, Congressman Pocan. Hi, Tom Hartman. Thank you for taking my call. Love what you guys do. Thank you, Andrew. The war on Afghanistan has lasted for 16 years. That's about half my life. Thousands of civilian lives lost. Uh, and apparently there is no end in sight. Uh, we kind of expected this from the Republican Party to want to continue war. However, um, as a populist, Trump won on the basis of he was going to stop war. And uh, I guess what I'm trying to ask is how are Democrats and progressives uh, going to follow progressive uh, and populist policy and try to end war? And I'd like to append a question to that, too, Congressman, uh, to, to Andrew's question. Would it be a wise strategy for Democrats to start referring to this as an occupation rather than a war? Because my recollection is the war was won after about three weeks. That's all it took to take down the government and, and seize control of the country. And ever since then, we've been try, trying to successfully occupy it. Congressman? Yeah. So uh, to Andrew, um, you know, clearly this is something I think one way we've been trying to raise the issue prior to even uh, what happened on Monday night from the president's speech has been trying to get a, a reauthorization uh, of going to war, a new AUMF. Uh, and we thought we had it. We actually had Republicans agreeing with us in an almost unanimous way on the Appropriations Committee. And then Paul Ryan single-handedly took that away so that the president has a blank check as he sees it to go to war. And Afghanistan's a classic example. How long are we going to continue to to remain there uh, with now, uh, according to President Trump, no timeline, uh, no announcement of how many troops, no goals, uh, just this vague victory, which we've seen, unfortunately, over and over and over again. So, I, so far, what I've seen out of the Democrats, who you know are all home, uh, we haven't been in Washington together, but uh, a big pushback on the AMF, which we still want to make sure we we get a chance to have a say, so the president can't just go anywhere. And secondly, uh, in Afghanistan, it makes no sense to put more troops in. We finally were getting a dividend of bringing people back home. Uh, this is a region and a country especially we don't have a great track record in. Uh, this is the complete wrong direction. And I've seen that out of quite a few Democrats, including people who aren't in our progressive caucus, Andrew. So I, I'm hopeful that that is getting out. Congressman, the, uh, we have a, just a, about a minute till we hit the break, not enough to get a caller in here. Um, so a quick question. The 
uh, Justin Amash and some of the other, uh, I don't know what you'd call them, libertarian Republicans or whatever, mm -hmm. um, yeah. have, uh, and, and Rand Paul in the Senate, been pretty outspoken that that authorization to use military force from 2001 was very specific to 9-11, that that really should no longer apply, that we need a whole new one. Um, do you, is this the sort of thing, uh, you know, redoing the AUMF and making it a little more rational, is this something where it could be done on a bi bipartisan basis? Oh, absolutely. In fact, in, in Appropriations Committee, Barbara Lee uh, put forward to do just that in the appropriations process, and the, the subcommittee chair spoke against it, and we thought, uh oh, here's going to be a partisan vote. All of a sudden, we watched Republican after Republican stand up and agree with her. Wow. And only the subcommittee chair in the end voted um, against her resolution. So it moved forward out of the committee, and then Paul Ryan single-handedly changed it when it went into the bill that hit the floor. So uh, rank and file definitely get it. I think part of it is because of this president. You know, they also know he's a little bit unstable when it comes to this, but uh, there's definitely a path. Yeah. Okay, that's good news. Congressman Mark Pocan taking your calls for the hour. It's Middays with Mark on the Tom Harbin program. We'll be back with more of your calls for Congressman Pocan right after this. Welcome back. Congressman Mark Pocan taking your calls. Bruce in Palmdale, California. Hey, Bruce, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hey, how's it going? Hey, I was just curious what you guys thought, um, why these police departments are allowing these right-wing hate groups to carry guns when that presents a clear and present danger, which the Supreme Court, you know... To public safety. That's, that's a good question. Congressman? Yeah, no, it's, it's a great point, uh, Bruce. I think, you know, our problem is in some of these areas, um, clearly, the, like we saw, at least in Charlottesville, this is a... Um, a state that has uh, very open carry laws, right? So they're already very laissez-faire when it comes to guns. And, you know, I think if this continued, you might find um, police forces looking at that and other issues to try to uh, make sure that there's not going to be uh, confrontations and violence. But I think, again, you know, this is still, we're still pretty fresh off of Charlottesville. Um, but uh, unfortunately, in some areas where these are going to be happening, I think, uh, you know, gun laws uh, are very, very loose, and it's it's harder to get even law enforcement to probably uh, use that as a reason to go after. Chuck, in South Milwaukee, Wisconsin, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hi, Congressman uh, Chuck Newman calling. Uh, Congressman, uh, I'm extremely concerned about uh, what appears to be a lack of, of strategy to deal with the, the cross-check voter purge and increasing voter registration uh, regarding uh, the upcoming midterms. The, uh, the, the lesson that we should take away from what happened with Scott Walker and the recall was that outrage by itself is not going to be enough to overcome gerrymandering and, and various tricks and, and junk voting machines given to uh, minority districts, et, et, et cetera, et cetera. We can't give away 5 to 10 percent of the vote uh, to uh, these kinds of shenanigans. We, we need to have a strong strategy to increase voter registration every single week, track how we're doing on that, and get these people to the polls. No, I, I agree, Chuck. I mean, as you know, we've seen what Scott Walker's done here, right? 
Um, we have one of the, the cleanest uh, states when it comes to uh, lack of voter fraud. Uh, not that there's voter fraud across the country anywhere. I got put a facted once on it about uh, you're more likely to get struck by lightning than commit voter fraud, and I got a true. So we know by the numbers that's not an issue, yet they keep putting it out there. On interstate cross-check, you know, we've put out a bill trying to raise the, the level of awareness because clearly 7 million people were dropped uh, through that process. There was a clear intent what they were up to. Uh, and also earlier this year, the Republicans wanted to get rid of the commission that approves the patches and things for electronic voting machines. And now with what we've seen happen with Russia, uh, we know the potential for hacking is there. So, And that is one where I think Congress actually now is trying to go back on that action. So maybe there's some awareness around that, but uh, clearly it has been a partisan um, approach to trying to select your voters rather than voters selecting their elected officials. And on multiple fronts, we have to address that. Chanel in Houston, Texas. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hello, um, Congressman. I have to respectfully disagree with you um, as far as the, you were saying, well, the alt-right protesters have to actually break a law. Um, and to your point about um, alt-right protesters carrying guns, you know, in Dallas, we saw recently within the past uh, year or so, we saw a black man basically be uh, pointed out and targeted when he wasn't even the perpetrator of killing Dallas police officers simply because he was um, exercising his Second Amendment right to carry a gun. Um, and also, I think that we have to take into consideration that, when, for instance, in Ferguson, Missouri, police officers were, you know, highly militarized. They brought out the National Guard to deal with these protesters. Some of them were being violent, but a lot of them were not. So I think that you're missing the point that a lot, in a lot of these cases, law enforcement is dealing with protesters in a very different manner. You know, when you have white protesters with skinny jeans, you know, and tailored shirts with tiki torches, I think that it would have been dealt a lot differently had these been Black Lives Matter protesters. You know, there's videos of these protesters spraying silly string on police officers and the police officers being seemingly unfazed by what they were doing. So I think that, you know, I get what you're saying, but I think we have to recognize that the way that police officers dealt with the Charlottesville situation would have been very different had they been black protesters. Yeah, Shana, I don't know if we're actually disagreeing. I think, you know, when I look at um, what I'm trying to explain is in some areas like Charlottesville, I don't assume that the the police force is exactly the most progressive uh, police force probably uh, that's out there given uh, the location and the laws they have. Therefore, uh, I'm not sure if they're going to be creative in using the enforcement that they could. Uh, And there's no question, whether it be Ferguson or many other areas we've seen across the country, I I completely agree with you. We have uh, selective enforcement happening, and that's part of a whole other issue we should be discussing. I'm just saying, I think if we're really going after the alt-right, and they're going to do it in areas where maybe the police forces aren't super progressive, we're going to have to be a lot more creative in how we go after that because they're probably not going to use the law creatively like uh, maybe in some areas they do against people uh, simply because of the color of their skin. So I, I don't disagree with you, Chanel. I just think that I'm being very pragmatic about in some areas it's going to be a very different reaction from a police force, and we're going to all have to put our heads together on how we can make sure that uh, the alt-right can still be stopped when they go into different communities. You know, the, that, that report came out the first few months of the Obama administration that had been commissioned by George W. Bush about right-wing terror and violence in the United States. It followed by about six months the one about Muslim terror and violence in the United States. 
And uh, Obama ended up walking it back and dismissing it uh, or burying it because of the outrage from the right, uh, what we'd call the alt-right, I guess, now. Um, is, it, is it time for the feds to do this? By the way, we just have a minute to the end of the hour. Yeah, I, I mean, if, if we had a, a Congress or a president that would be amenable, yes, um, I would agree. And, and that's something I think the more we can be creative and figure out how we can stop this using the law. But uh, unfortunately, when you go into some of these communities where you don't have the law enforcement maybe as progressive or, or unbiased, uh, it's going to be a lot more difficult unless we come up with some really good ideas of how to approach this. What should we be watching for in the next week or so? Oh, boy, you know, I tell you every week, Tom, when you give me this, you never know with Donald Trump, right, where he's going next. Yeah. I think um, I've, I've watched a lot about Republicans very nervous going back into September and two weeks. We're, we're back in Congress. They've got the month to, uh, you know, deal with the budget and lifting the debt ceiling and things like that. And I think uh, all that Donald Trump is doing fighting Republicans isn't going to help on that front, and I'm watching uh, the Tea Party uh, stiffen their back and some of their rhetoric. So I, I think we're going to watch some GOP on GOP uh, action <laughs> continuing to escalate. Very interesting. Okay, Congressman Mark Pocan, thank you so much. Absolutely, as always. Thank you. Great talking with you. Pocan.house.gov. Tweet him at Rep. Mark Pocan. Hey, Tom Hartman here with the Tom Hartman Program. You know I'm serious about my health, and so I'm doing something for it. You've heard me talking about Super Beets. I'm drinking Super Beets, a circulation superfood powder that helps support my heart and healthy blood pressure, too. I have amazing energy, amazing stamina as well. The New York Times calls Beets fitness in a glass. With Super Beets, I get all the benefits without the added taste, without the bad taste, excuse me, or added sugar. Mix it in water or a smoothie for a jitter-free energy boost. You'll love the taste of Super Beats and feel results in as little as 20 minutes, guaranteed or your money back. Try the original berry or black cherry. I love them both. If you haven't tried it yet, now is the time. Only for the summer, you can try Super Beats for only $5.95. Here's how. Call now and get a free box of Super Beats with 10 packets to try and feel the results, plus two free indicator strips for monitoring your nitric oxide levels before and after taking Super Beats. It's just $5.95. You'll love the results, guaranteed. More energy, more stamina. Support healthy circulation. What are you waiting for? Call 800-568-9889. That's 800-568-9889. Or go to TomsBeats.com. That's TomsBeats.com. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. In the studio with me is uh, Charles Sauer, libertarian economist and president of the Market Institute. MarketInstitute.org is the website. You can tweet him at Charles Sauer, is spelled S-A-U-E-R. Charles, welcome back. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you. So uh, let's talk about the debt ceiling and uh, and government debt in general. I, you know, it seems to me like, it, you know, a, a libertarian who actually understands economics would agree with me on these issues. OK. And my position is as follows, that uh, number one, the whole debt ceiling is just a it, it, it's, it's a made up canard. It was made up during the Eisenhower administration. Uh, it, it wasn't considered controversial at the time, but it's stupid to say we're not going to pay the debts already, you know, already incurred, the allegations already incurred by the federal government. So if you want to prevent the debt from growing by statute, there are other and different ways to do it, number one. And number two, that the national debt is private savings, that, that you know, there's about Four, four and a half, five trillion dollars of our national debt that the government owes to itself, but the remaining 14, 15 trillion of it, the, that most of that or much of that is is private savings. Well, you know, it's, it's George W. Bush when he was born, he had a million dollars in government bonds, and the sturm and drang that has been coming about our national debt has mostly been coming from Pete Peterson and people like him, 
a Wall Street billionaire who are looking at $15 trillion of personal savings. If I said personal debt, I meant savings. Yeah. Um, uh, $15 trillion of personal savings being put in the Treasury Department as Treasury bills yeah. rather than at Goldman Sachs or at Pete Peterson's bank, whatever it's called. And they're just saying, hey, we want this money because we can skim the money off the top and we're going to get everybody all hysterical about the national debt when the fact of the matter is that any country that, that absolutely has control over their own currency, debt is the last thing they need to worry about. And if anything proves this, it's, J it's Japan. So let me le turn it over to you, Charles. I, I guess uh, it's the the best bad, uh, bad ideas um, are rooted in a little bit of truth, right? So I do agree with parts of what you're saying. I mean, the fact is, is it is a canard. It's it's a it's a false limit. So uh, we all have credit cards and they have limits And those credit card limits are real. If you uh, if you hit it, the credit card company will stop you. But I think of the debt ceiling like a credit card limit. Um, it's just the fact that Congress can raise the limit or uh, if it wasn't there, there would be no limit. But but, but hang on just a second. Yeah. It's a really imperfect metaphor, because when you go to use your credit card, that's when you're incurring the debt. So if 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 we were to walk across the street to Brown Bag and buy lunch and your credit card is already maxed out, yep. they will not let you buy the lunch. Yes. Right. Whereas what Congress is saying is, you know, with the whole debt ceiling, what the Republicans are saying is, you know, yeah, we get it. The government's already bought the lunch. Right. They've already yeah. run up the bill. We're now not going to send the check into the credit card company at the end of the month to pay this month's bill. It, well, it actually it's a little bit different than that, because it, you're right. They're they're saying they're not going to uh, they're not going to pay a bill that has already been incurred. And every time the Republicans have tried to put a stop in other areas, um, it, it's been uh, held back. So this is the one way. But it, all it. The debt ceiling says well, it, has it does say back. that they're I mean, not going to pay the bill, but it doesn't debts. say they're going to not pay all the bills. And that's what the, the left likes portraying this as. It says we're going to organize what bills we're going to pay first. It's kind of like a, a well, bankruptcy. We've been doing that since March. But again, even at that, they aren't actually um, we've we've always raised the debt ceiling. It's it might have been on a delay I know, under 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 Newt back in the in the 90s uh, during the Clinton administration. They shut down the government. You know, it's 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 happened two it times, three times, maybe. Well, it's uh, it also past? shut down under uh, uh, under Obama, right? Uh, under President Obama, they they uh, government went and ran like safety tape around some of the kids parks in Washington D.C. arbitrarily just to. It's a great way to make the point to, to make the point that it was happening, but they kept the regular functions but the of government. But the, but the reason why Republicans are willing to shut down the government at that level. And is because that allows them to continue voting for another six hundred billion dollars for the defense industry and not appropriating the funds for no, it. That's why I think the debt ceiling is good on both sides. Right. So I don't think it's good that the Republicans keep voting on to increase uh, defense spending. I think it's important that we talk about spending. I think it's important that we bring responsibility but back to shouldn't, spending. Shouldn't that conversation happen at the moment that the Republicans are voting on legislation to do the spending? You know, like with with my wife, it happens in our family uh, uh, when we do the spending and when we pay but the see, bills. Your family cannot print its own currency. <laughs> yeah. And just because and when since the government can print its own currency, not only should they talk about it when they pass the bills, but they should talk about it when they pay the bills and they should talk about it in between. And the fact that we just happen to have rules there for them, the problem comes in because they can print their own currency. You can. What if a bank, the way that you attack banks 
you should be on this side because if banks could print their own currency, how we'd be screwed. Yeah, but, right. But the, but the government can print the, its own money, and you think that that's great? That's well, not great. Actually, our, as you know, our money supply is not increased by the government. Mostly, it's increased by banks lending money. That's how money gets into the money supply. That's how the money supply gets expanded. Banks, you know, put loans on their balance sheets, and it's how it gets contracted. Banks stop lending, as we saw in two thousand eight. There was about a four trillion dollar change, as I recall, in the, in the U.S. money supply over about a two year period. But but. I just hosted an event last night with the president of the St. Louis Fed. Um, we, you know, we we talked about um, some of these issues and um, it was an off the record meeting. He didn't say anything that would uh, blow the boots off of anybody as any Fed chair uh, president uh, would do. But um, the fact is, is you're 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 kind of right. But you you play a little fast and loose with the variables there. The banks, the, the our central bank can do things that. Uh, makes us well, feel like we increase the money can, supply. Yeah, and they do that by buying buying government debt, um, yeah. or or buying bad bank debt. You know, which they're still sitting on trillions of dollars worth. And and you and I both disagree with that as a matter of policy. Yeah. But my point is that the that the whole debt ceiling thing is a scam put together by Republicans so that they can scream about spending money, but they don't get restrained in their own spending of money. I. I I completely agree with that. I think that the debt ceiling's a scam, but it's a good scam that both parties should use. The liberals Why? the liberals should yell at the Republicans for for not, for not raising for, taxes. For their defense spending, uh or for not raising taxes. It should be it should be used by both sides. I don't think that raising taxes is the solution, but when you have a spending Something like the debt ceiling that brings up the discussion about spending. But why, this is a family why, that why won't even, talk about it. Yeah, why even put it, though, in the context of the debt? I mean, you, you, you keep using these home householder metaphors, and, yeah. and I keep saying, no, the government is not a household. But if you want to use the household metaphor, okay. uh, the, the, uh, you know, the, there's a formula the banks use to say, okay, if your income is $30,000 a year, you can buy a house that's worth $120,000. Yes. It's four times your income or five times. Yeah. I don't know what the exact formula is, but it's multiples of your income. Let's say it's four times your income. So we'll loan you enough money to buy a $130,000 house if you make $30,000 a year or $120,000 yeah. house. Our national debt is about equal to our annual income. So if banks were lending to us, they would loan us four times what we owe right now as a government. And that's just to buy a house. And so if we were to say, and the whole point of buying the house is, hey, it's useful, it's functional, it's going to increase in value over time, it's going to add to the wealth of the family. Well, what does that for, for governments? Infrastructure. So why doesn't the government borrow $2 trillion tomorrow morning I mean, this is not unlike, hey, you know, you're going to you're going to borrow money to expand your house and you know that you're increasing the value of your house. It's going to be increased more than it costs you. It's going to pay back over time. Why shouldn't we borrow two trillion dollars tomorrow and put a million people to work and, and bring America back to where it was in 1980 when Reagan came into power and stopped spending money on infrastructure? Oh, because because the example that you gave is actually what drove the subprime uh, lending problem. It's not when the you were talking about when because our income is getting closer to our debt. And the fact is, is you shouldn't loan to somebody when they're in that situation. You need to have uh, a ceiling space. You need to be able to um, actually afford the house. So it needs to be, a, it's that, a house that, should be a fourth. No, but what you're talking about is the annual payments on the national debt, not the debt itself. Yeah, well. Because you're not gonna say to somebody who's making 30 grand a year and has a $120,000 house, you know, your payments of, 
$300 a month on your on your home mortgage. That's terrible. You shouldn't be paying that. I'm also not going to sit here and fight that debt itself is bad. Um, there, there's plenty of academics who have said that debt is is good or debt is okay. And the fact is, is useful you know, like if we if we have a, a trillion dollars in debt now and somehow we hold that debt even, I'm not saying we have to hold it where it is, but the economy keeps growing, that trillion dollars starts becoming a, a smaller and smaller percent. So I'm not even saying that there's a level of debt that we should hold. Uh, what I am saying, though, is that this is a good conversation to have. The debt ceiling helps bring up that conversation. So is the debt ceiling a canard? Is it fake? Has it been used as a political baseball bat? Oh, yes. Has it been used more effectively by the right as a political baseball bat? Yes. The Absolutely. left should learn how to how to wield the debt ceiling baseball Except bat. Except that that requires the left to buy into the canard. That that you know, the you know, in other words, you're saying, why don't you guys fight inside our frame? And I'm saying, I think the frame is BS. That's inside the family. There's a lot of different people that find ways to get outside of a conversation uh, to not address the hard issues. And the debt ceiling is a way to bring up the the hard issues. And whether that's but a why canard not, or not, I don't. I don't think not that do that's that, a problem. Why not have that conversation instead of uh, instead of putting it in the throwing it into the into this phony frame of debt? Why not put it into the frame of national priorities? You know, when 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 the government when the when the federal government is putting together their annual budget. And they're doing these giant must-pass omnibus bills, which I think absolutely should be outlawed. You yeah. know, but isn't that the appropriate? Well, time I for think this that I mean, do you really the, want to spend this money to lock, you know, to Martin Lockheed, whatever it is, you know, it's uh, don't bring an economic don't bring an economic fight to a moral argument, right? Um, Why not? The fact is, is when you're when you're spending money, that's this. Uh, the left can usually win because there's uh, there, there's no moral argument that's going to win versus taking care of this ex additional person who who needs help. But when you're talking about the the debt and spending, now that's a moral argument that can be used on the right because now the spending is being taken out of my kids and my kids' kids' pockets instead of um, the well, idea no, that you, you want that, to pursue that, somebody. I, I you know I know that that cliche promoted by Peterson and. And friends, but the fact of the matter is, your kids and your kids' kids paying off the national debt is no worse than you and I right now paying taxes to pay off the debt from World War II. No, Except I shouldn't be paying the debt from World War II either. Well, I mean, that because we keep uh, we're, World War II, actually, it's probably more Vietnam. <laughs> Anyhow, Charles, we're out of time. Thank we're you. wrapping it up. Charles Sauer, uh, marketinstitute.org is his website. You can tweet him at Charles Sauer, S A U E R. Welcome back. Let's talk about some of the news that you're probably not going to hear on network television because it doesn't uh, boil down to cute little uh, who's winning, who's losing or soap opera sound bites. Sam Clovis has been appointed by uh, or nominated by Donald Trump to be the undersecretary for research, education and economics. And uh, at the United States Department of Agriculture, the USDA's chief scientist, basically. You, you may not be familiar with Sam Clovis, but uh, Chuck Schumer is. And Chuck Schumer just sent out a, an, an email to the press. I just, just got this. Uh, Schumer and Schatz, this is uh, you know another Democratic senator, uh, Brian Schatz, or Schatz, I'm not sure how to say it, Schatz, I think it is. Uh, Schumer and Schatz call on President Trump to withdraw nomination of Sam Clovis. And then they put into this, you know, some some information about Sam Clovis. Here are some of the things he has said. 
uh, Sam Clovis, quote, it is clear that the Obama who went on to Occidental College, uh, how he got there is a mystery, as are his differences, his admittances to Columbia and Harvard, was a young man who was well on his way to crafting the illusion that he was quite different from his real life. For over a decade, Obama allowed his publisher to carry a biographer, a biography that had him born in Kenya. Only after beginning his pursuit of public office did he correct the entry. Correct is in quotation marks. Could it be that the first African-American president is being given a pass because he's black? How incredibly racist is that? That's something Sam Clovis said. He also, speaking of uh, uh, Attorney General Eric Holder, he says, let's be clear, as our president is so fond of saying, that this attorney general may be the most corrupt and incompetent person to hold the job since the Nixon administration. He is a racist bigot. He's, keep in mind, this is Sam Clovis talking about Eric Holder, the first African-American attorney general in the history of the United States, is, to the best of my knowledge. He is a racist bigot who cannot see beyond his own hateful, willful, and despicable worldview. The word projection comes to mind. Here's what he had to say about uh, Tom Perez, who has been on this program, who's now the, the, the head of the Democratic Party. This goes right in line with Tom Perez, who's a racist Latino. He's a racist Latino, and Eric Holder is a racist black. He got appointed against racist white people, other than they wouldn't hire any people of color in the White House. So it's kind of an ironic twist here. And he goes, he's, This guy just goes off on these racist rants. And then with regard to climate change, I am extremely skeptical. I've looked at the science. I have enough of a science background to know that when I'm being boofed, and a lot of the science is junk science. It's not proven. I don't think there's any substantive information available to me that doesn't raise as many questions as it answers, so I'm a skeptic. Right. Sam Clovis, homosexuality is a choice. Someone who engages in LGBT behavior, I don't know what the science is on this. I think it's still out. But as far as we know, LGBT behavior is a choice they make. Says Clovis says in a video obtained by CNL's K-File. So we're being asked to provide conventional protections for behavior, a choice in behavior, as opposed to a primary characteristic. Uh, this, he says we protect LGBT behaviors. What other protect behaviors are we going to protect? Are we going to protect pedophilia? Are we going to protect polyamorous marriage relationships? Are we going to protect people who have fetishes? What's the logical ex extension of this? I mean, this, is, this guy is going to become the chief scientist for the U.S. Department of Agriculture? Why? Well, he's a big Trump supporter. See, it doesn't matter your competence. It just matters your loyalty in Trump world. Coming up tomorrow, we'll have the latest news and information from Wall Street and Main Street, all points in between. Plus, best of the rest of the news. And don't forget, democracy begins with you. Get out there, show up, participate, tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.